I'd invite you to take your Bibles and open them up to our passage for today, which is Matthew chapter 8, verses 19, 19 rather, through 22, found on page 6 of the New Testament portion of your pew Bibles. And uh, we encourage you to bring your Bibles with you every week. Thank you for doing that. And if you don't have one with you, that's okay. We've got those pew Bibles for you directly underneath you in the pew racks. Again, that's Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. Matthew chapter 8. Then a scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. This is the inerrant word of God. I sometimes marvel and admire the commitment that I see in other people. I'm amazed at some of the commitment that is demonstrated, for example, by Olympic athletes. We read of how children at the tender age of six leave their home in order to train with a coach across the country and many times even live with that particular coach. Others practice three hours before they get up to go to school, and then after school practice an additional four hours in order to train for their Olympic event. They forego special events and activities at their school. They virtually have no social life, perhaps not dating, and putting forth every effort simply to excel at their sport. Their parents make great sacrifices, not only in terms of time and not being with their children, but the financial expense that is experienced through travel and through fees and buying equipment and all that is involved in supporting their children. This kind of commitment can take a tremendous toll, not only on the finances, but also on the family. Then I see people that are very dedicated to their work. They work long hours. They are willing to commute great distances in order to work at a particular location. Sometimes they have to relocate and move away from extended family and friends in order to advance their career. We see that dedication manifested on many different levels. This morning, I want to talk to you about the importance of living a committed or dedicated life in following the Lord Jesus Christ. In the passage before us, Jesus addressed two particular areas 
that might keep people from following Christ as they should. So the theme this morning is Jesus cautions us as he addresses two areas of attachment that might keep us from following Christ. He cautions us in regards to two areas of attachment that might keep us from following him as we ought. The first area of attachment has to do with material goods. And we should not allow material goods to keep us from following Christ. Notice Matthew 8, 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart. Verse 19. And a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So an unnamed individual approaches Jesus. We don't know his name, for that is not significant to the story. We do know his position in life, and that is that he is a scribe. It says a certain scribe came to him. A scribe was first and foremost an individual that had dedicated their lives to transcribing the word of God. Back then, there were no printing presses. There were no ways of duplicating the text other than someone sitting down and doing so by hand. It was the responsibilities of the scribes to do just that. They spent a good part of their day simply copying the word of God. Through that process, they would become incredibly familiar with the scriptures. They would know it well. And so they became the leading authorities in their day on what the word of God said. They proved to be teachers of the word. So here is a person who himself values highly the word of God and himself is a teacher of the word of God. And he comes and he addresses Jesus as teacher and says, Teacher, I'm willing to follow you wherever you go. The scribe makes an unqualified commitment to Christ. I will follow you wherever you go. That kind of commitment by a scribe to Jesus was virtually unheard of. We find them linked with the Pharisees time and time again in the New Testament. The scribes and the Pharisees. And they usually are antithetical to Jesus' teaching because what he teaches goes against the common understanding of the scriptures of their day. In fact, it is so rare that a scribe would follow Jesus that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he describes those that reject the gospel, those to whom the gospel appears to be foolishness, he says this, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, 
and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where is the scribe that puts their faith in the gospel, Paul asks. That's how rare it is. So here's this scribe that comes to Jesus, calls him teacher, and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus gives a rather curious response. Verse 20. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus seeks to make the scribe aware of the kind of commitment that he is making. It appears that it's rather a rash or quick decision on the part of this scribe. So Jesus is cautioning him as to what he is getting himself into when he says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says in essence that he doesn't even have the creature comforts. He says the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the birds to illustrate God's care of his own. We were in that passage not too many weeks ago. And in that particular portion of scripture, Jesus said, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your Father, Heavenly Father feeds them, and you are not worth much more than they. Are you not worth much more than they? So Jesus used these birds as an example of how God provides for them, and therefore he certainly will provide for you. What Jesus now says does not negate that truth, but Jesus looks at the flip side of that. God does provide our needs. He will food you, he will clothe you, he will take care of you. And at the same time, Jesus said, but if you want to follow me, he said, birds have a nest. Foxes have holes or a den, but I don't have any place to lay my head. Jesus had no place to call home. He was an itinerant preacher. He went from village to village, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And he was calling his disciples to live that same kind of nomadic lifestyle. If they were literally going to follow him, if they were going to abide under his teaching, that meant they better be ready to move. What is Jesus communicating to this man? It's a lesson in balance. Is Jesus teaching us that it is wrong to own a home? I don't think so. Is it wrong to want to establish a permanent place of residency? Of course not. But Jesus is teaching us that these things should not keep us from following Christ. We should not be so committed to our home or so committed to our place of residency, so committed to our present lifestyle that if he were to call us 
to go somewhere else that we would be unwilling to respond. We should not be so attached to our house. We should not be so attached to this area. We should not be so attached to our present lifestyle that if Jesus wants to move us, that we are unwilling to go. We ought to be willing to abandon them. So what are we to think about this response of Jesus? I would point out a few things to you. First, there is no rebuke in Jesus' response. Jesus does not find fault with what this man says. Doesn't rebuke him nor correct him. Secondly, there is no deterrent. There is no deterrent in Jesus' response. Jesus does not say, "You shall not follow me." He doesn't say, "You better think twice about following me." There's no deterrent. What there is, is a cautionary note in Jesus' response. He's just simply saying to this man, who carte blanchely is saying, I will follow you wherever you go. I don't think you know what you're saying. I don't think you have thought this through. He said, you need to realize that foxes have holes Birds of the air have nests. I don't have a place to lay my head. The man probably had no clue in what it meant to follow Jesus. It all would have been appearing as pretty glamorous and idyllic at the moment. He had great crowds. People listened to him. He was healing people of disease. He was casting out demons. It was almost like an incredible show. And to be a part of that would have been very alluring. The teaching about the cost of of discipleship he probably had never heard. The verse that we used this morning probably would have been unfamiliar to him. Namely, take up your cross and follow me. In light of that, this cautionary note is actually quite mild. For Jesus makes no mention of rejection, of suffering, or of death. All the apostles but one are going to die for their faith. Only John does not die as a martyr. But he dies in exile because of his faith on the Isle of Patmos. Jesus says nothing nothing to this man about suffering, about death. He could have been much, much more stringent in what he communicates than what he does. Most likely, the man is not ready for that kind of commitment. He's not ready to hear that kind of message. Therefore, Jesus provides this gentle cautionary note. He only speaks of physical hardships that are associated with living a nomadic lifestyle. The same could be said of soldiers. The same could have been said of many different occupations that this man could have chosen. If one is going to follow Jesus, one must understand that commitment, application. First, We all must be cautioned in the professing of great and wonderful commitments to Christ. 
how little we know of ourselves and how little we know of what God has called us to do. It is easy to make great proclamations. I will forsake all to follow you. It's even easier to make those proclamations through song. Because there are so many songs that speak about the fact that we are going to make this incredible commitment to Jesus Christ. Sometimes I feel guilty in choosing those songs because I feel like sometimes I'm leading us all into sin by speaking of things that are beyond our experience and perhaps even beyond our heart's desire. So first of all, we need to be honest with ourselves. And we need to be careful about the kinds of commitment that we think we are making to Jesus Christ. Of course, the most famous error in that regard is the statement of Peter when Jesus says to Peter that tonight you're going to deny me and Jesus and Peter says, I won't deny you. I'm willing to die for you. And of course, he ends up denying the Lord three times. That should not seek us, that should not discourage us from seeking us to serve Christ nor should we believe that it's impossible for us to serve him. However, it should keep us from being impulsive, but rather be thoughtful. And it should help us to understand what Jesus has done for us. And that is what I want to make as the primary application this morning. I don't think it's so much about this man as it is about Jesus. Because this man is saying, in essence, I am willing to make the same commitment that you make. I am willing to go wherever you go. Jesus is pointing out, you're clueless about where I'm going and what I'm doing. We ought to Simply stand back and marvel and worship and give thanks at the commitment of Jesus Christ to us, to our salvation, and to his Father. A commitment that is unlike any other. We should seek to imitate it. We should seek to follow it, we should seek to implement it, but we should never, ever think that our commitment to him is anywhere near his commitment to us. Sometimes you hear people's testimonies about all that they've given up in order to serve and follow Christ. There is not a single human being on the face of this earth that has given up anything near what Jesus has given up in order to serve us and to serve his heavenly Father. He left his heavenly home to come and dwell among us. And then the scripture says that then even as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Even as a 
man. He humbled himself to be born in a manger. Humbled himself to live a nomadic lifestyle where he had no place to lay his head. The first step in following Christ is to acknowledge his supremacy, his superiority, his uniqueness. We ought to acknowledge our weakness. Better had this man said, Jesus, you are worthy of my all. Jesus, I should be willing to go wherever you go. That is hard. And I acknowledge I don't understand how hard it is. I don't know where you lead. I don't know what you experience. But Lord, help me to be a follower of you. I think that's what we're to take away from this particular story. Second attachment. Family and friends should not keep us from following Christ. Family and friends should not keep us from following Christ. Notice Matthew 8, 21. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. That is a very cursed statement that comes out of the blue in this text. We aren't given much more detail in the parallel accounts in the Synoptic Gospels, but we at least do have this. In Luke 9, 59, he, that is Jesus, and Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go bury my father. The first occasion is a volunteer. Out of the blue, comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. The second is not a volunteer, but a draftee. Jesus says to this man, follow me. What is emphasized in our text is the man's response. Notice the end of verse 21. Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Jesus' response. But Jesus said to him, verse 22, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. So we need to unpack that a little bit. First, what was this man asking permission to do? What was he asking a leave of absence for? He said, permit me first to go and bury my father. I think it is unlikely that the man's father had died and now he is needing to go home and to make funeral arrangements. I doubt that is what is occurring for if that were to be the case, it would be unlikely that the man would be in the crowd in the first place but he'd be attending to these, these details. So probably the father had not yet died. He may have been close to death, or 
the man may have been saying, my father is elderly, I need to care for him. When he passes on and I'm no longer responsible for him, then I will follow you. It could be that. We don't know. But let's look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. First question, how can dead people bury dead people? I think Jesus is saying, let those who are spiritually dead bury their physical dead. For those who are spiritually dead, for those who have no saving life in them, for those who do not have a personal relationship to Jesus Christ, for the non-believer, the highest priority in life is the care of their family. Their spouse, their children, and their parents. This is Father's Day. And we are told to honor our fathers and our mothers. And I hope today that you will honor your parents and honor your father. The scripture teaches us that we are to provide for our family members. And in fact, that is a part of our Christian duty. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Because even unbelievers take care of their parents. So in the book of Timothy it says, if you don't take care of your parents, you're worse than an unbeliever. Because they take care of their parents. Jesus, in his own way, cared for his mother just before his death. Jesus is hanging on the cross. John 19, 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. So Jesus provided for Mary. He's hanging on the cross. And he says to Mary, Mary, you're to regard John as your son. John, you're to regard Mary as your mother. And the scripture points out that from that very moment, Mary went to live with John. That is the way that Jesus provided for his mother. So the scripture certainly is not against caring for or providing for one's relatives. What we find out is this. Number one, it is not easy to distinguish between life's priorities. If we are going to be sincere in our desire to follow Christ, it requires a great deal of wisdom when it comes to priorities. I have often heard it said 
that the proper paradigm for establishing priorities in life is this. Number one, God first. Number two, family second. Number three, work and everything else follows that. Let me just suggest to you that that is incredibly overly simplistic. It just isn't that easy. For many times, in order to follow Christ, you need to put your family above what other people may expect you to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. There are other times that your family has to be sacrificed in order to fulfill what God would have you to do. But before us is a statement that at the bottom line teaches this, that for the child of God, there is to be a recognition of a commitment to Christ that is greater than all other earthly commitments. Let me say that again. Our commitment to Christ is to be greater than all other earthly commitments, no matter what it is. Now, in that commitment to Christ, it's going to impact our earthly commitments. And we are going to be faithful. We are going to be responsible. We're going to meet our duties in fulfilling that commitment to Christ. Jesus said this in just a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 10. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. Jesus is teaching us that that commitment is to be foremost. In a day and age in which the family is in such great turmoil, such a statement from Jesus seems incredibly odd. Life is always about balance. It's about balance. And certainly there is a lack of commitment in our society to parents, to spouses, and to children. There's just no question about that. The the family unit is, is falling apart. And people are unwilling to care for their aged parents. People are unwilling to make sacrifices for their spouses. And they don't provide for their children the way that they should. And so, rightly, the Christian community is constantly harping, quote, family values, unquote, and the importance of putting the family First, somehow that has to be balanced in the Christian community that hears constantly that you need to put your family first, that Jesus teaches that you put him first. For the Christian community, the balance is that we don't go the way of the world in ignoring 
and failing to meet the needs of our family, but we don't adopt the values of the world either and make the most important thing in this world is our family and put them above Christ, put them above the church, put them above our responsibilities before him. It is a unique balancing act that Jesus calls us to. It is difficult to make such determinations. And I'm certainly not in any position to make them for you. I'm just simply saying it's overly simplistic to say God first, family second, work and everything else third. These are competing values that you constantly have to be looking at and seeking to strike up the proper balance. We find out in life that the choices that Christians are to make are not between that which is evil and that which is good. The choices are always for the Christian between what is better and what is best. Hard, difficult choices. There are many times in which in order to serve Christ, our families have to play second fiddle. And just as true that in serving Christ, our families have to be taken in consideration and placed on a pedestal and taken care of. It's important that our families make mutual sacrifices and support is required of all the family members. When a young person decides to follow Christ, they may move away. They may go to the mission field. That is a sacrifice for the family. And it's one that the whole family has to be on board with, or it's going to create problems. It's going to create issues. There are times when these become difficult situations. Having said that, this morning, I want us again to focus on Jesus Christ because I think that's the point of the passage. And we may look at this passage and say to ourselves, Jesus, do you really expect us to make this kind of sacrifice? Do you really expect us to put you before our own relationship with our father, our mother? We are, we are anticipating here. We are expecting that this is a good relationship, not a bad one. Charles Wesley, I read his journal, blown away. At one point, he thanks God for the wife that God had given him because he found it to be easier to be away from home for long periods of time. Charles Wesley was happy to go preaching. Because he had a miserable home life. That's not what's anticipated in this text. It's not about people who have miserable home lives. It's about people who have a wonderful relationship to mom and dad. 
And Jesus is saying, but you need to put me first. Again, to contemplate, to reflect, to think upon what the Son of God gave up to leave his relationship with his heavenly Father, to come and to die for us. And the worst thing about the cross, never forget it, it's not that he fact that he rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. It's not just that he didn't have any money. And it wasn't the mocking. And it wasn't the ridicule that he took for us. And we marvel about people's commitment to be mocked and ridiculed. It wasn't about the physical suffering, and though it was great. And we read in the very hairs of his beard were torn out. And his face was so marred that he no longer looked like a human being, the scripture says in the book of Isaiah. But that's not it. The worst agony of the cross was when Jesus hung upon that cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No one has experienced that. You may have been abandoned by your father. And if that's your testimony this morning, my heart goes out to you. I, I, can't, I, I just can't imagine what it would be like to be abused by your father, to be forsaken by your father. I have no clue. That's not my testimony I had a wonderful experience. I can't imagine what that's like. But Jesus had the perfect Heavenly Father. He had a relationship that was never broken. Rose up early in the morning to commune with His Heavenly Father. Heard the words, the encouragement Audible words when Jesus came up out of that baptismal situation and heard the words, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well placed. To be willing to take upon himself our sin. And be treated as a sinner. And be forsaken by his father. To do the will of the father. And to serve us. It's a passage. That teaches us. This is the greatest area of commitment for us as human beings. For those who aren't saved, the most important part of their life is their family. As important as our family is and should be to us, how important should Christ be to us? Our Savior, our Lord.
Unless we ever get content or pity ourselves or want to thrust out our chest in thinking of the tremendous commitments that we have made in the area of sacrificing family in order to serve Christ. May we never forget. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken It is hard to follow Christ, for he is like no other. His commitment is unique. My goal this morning is not for us to beat ourselves over the head and go home and say, woe is me, I'm unfit, I'm unworthy, I'm not this kind of disciple, but rather go home and exalt and give thanks and glorify Jesus Christ and acknowledge there is no one like you. Teach me who you are. Teach me of your love for me. Teach me of your commitment. And then, oh God, help me in some small way to reflect that kind of commitment in my love for you. Let's pray.